Welcome back to the Starting Over Stronger show. This week on the show, I'm going to do another replay of an appearance that I made on a different podcast. And this week, it's going to be from the Financial Fix podcast with Teresa McGarry. I think you're going to enjoy our conversation about all things divorce and transition and how finances fit into that. So give it a listen and I'll see you back here again next week. to the Starting Over Stronger Show, where you'll find help and hope for your divorce survival and recovery. Divorce well, live well. Welcome to Financial Fix. I'm your host, Teresa McGarry, and we have with us today, Annie Allen with Starting Over Stronger. Hey, Annie, how's it going? Great. How are you? Pretty good. So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? What's Starting Over Stronger about? Starting Over Stronger is an umbrella of services provided to women going through divorce or even considering going through divorce, maybe even recovering from divorce, just major life transitions and everything that happens before, during, and after that. I'm a certified divorce and life transition coach, and I host a podcast by the name Starting Over Stronger. And later this year, I will launch my first post-divorce recovery retreat with that same name and hopefully get my book published also with that same name. So all about helping women do divorce better so that they can launch into a life they can love after a difficult or toxic relationship experience. Well, because I hadn't heard you talk about thinking about divorce. I mean, going through divorce, recovering from divorce, that made sense. The thinking about it, I had I, yeah, I have <laughs> I, I have 10 years of experience in that, so <laughs> I could definitely speak to that. <laughs> okay, so that leads me into, would you share your why? Yeah, well, my why is because there's a whole lot of women out there that feel very alone. They are in a marriage that is very unfulfilling, if not abusive. They don't feel loved. Um, They don't feel like their vows are being fulfilled. And they are sometimes killing themselves trying to fix things and change things and make things better for them, but also for their children. and, And because they love this man they're married to, and just, you know, running into walls every which way they go and, and very frustrated, if not also in just really severe psychological and emotional pain from control or manipulation or other really toxic types of dynamics in their relationships. And 
and they feel alone because they don't know that how many women there are that are going through that exact same thing. And so when I was able to finally free myself from it after 10 years of trying to fix it, I came to a place where I just really organically kept meeting people who were going through the same thing or had just gone through the same thing or getting ready to go through the same thing. And I just naturally, you know, because I'm empathic and I, and I feel like it's just always been my calling and mission to help women have more self-awareness and more personal empowerment to make changes and decisions in their life that they can feel good about. And that's true whether they end up getting divorced or not. That's why I also have the life transition coaching experience because sometimes it doesn't require a divorce to get healthy, but it does require digging in and figuring out who you are, why you think the way you do, why you make the decisions that you do. And sometimes that can make your marriage exactly what you've wanted it to be all along. And other times the only way you can get healthy is to exit that toxic system and free yourself from it. And so I just think that there's uh, honestly probably way more people experiencing that than most people realize. And sadly, they all feel alone because they haven't felt like they could talk to anybody about it because maybe it didn't even make sense to them, you know? And as it begins to make more sense to you, then you have a little bit more freedom where you might branch out and talk to a friend or a therapist or, and, and as that community grows around you of people who get it, you can suddenly feel supported and feel like you actually can do things differently. And that's what I want every woman to experience. I, um, it would have been, this may would have been 24 years um, plus about 18 months of dating, if you want to call it that before. So yeah, before mm-hmm. I finally said I'm done and yeah. it took, uh, I mean, a lot of it was, um, you know, being raised that, not allowed to tell anybody no at any time for any reason. So you have to be a doormat. Mm-hmm. And any time you do something for yourself, you're being selfish, yeah. which is wrong. I have learned. Um, and I felt worse than a piece of trash. I felt like I was lucky that he paid any attention to me. And it was the only way I could get out of the house because I was not capable of doing it on my own. That's what I was taught and mm-hmm. convinced and so I didn't feel like I deserved to be treated any better. And probably about five years ago, started really having clients who not, I mean, they had no idea about the situation, but it was um, just being appreciative and being a friend and just letting me, just telling me that, you know, what I was doing was making a difference and how much they appreciated it. And it's like, oh my gosh, if this is the way my clients are treating me. And then I start looking at how my friends are treating me. And I'm like, my husband should be treating me even better. And that ain't happening. And another thing I noticed that was, um, it, it felt like anytime I did try to bring it up, like to my mom or that, because there was no bruises or broken bones, it was very much, you know, you can't say that you're not being abused because, you know, because all these other, the mental, the emotional, the financial, the, which, I mean, he paid the bills, but there was still, there was still a lot of control there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, but all the other ways that somebody can abuse somebody else that doesn't leave outside marks. It's hard to admit it to yourself that it's abuse, 
but it's also a lot of times hard for anybody else to believe it because for one, that's not the person he shows everybody out in public. And you go out with a smile on your face. And if they're not really paying attention, they see what they want to see. And Mm -hmm. if this is not a genuine smile, it is my fake, I'm trying to pretend to be happy smile. Mm -hmm. And they don't get it. They think you're just such, you know, it's a wonderful, happy couple. And it's like, you're really screaming for help through this forced smile that nobody's paying attention to. And I get that. (laughs) Yeah, you get but I mean, how many women are out there that that don't recognize what abuse even is and just feel like it's their fault and mm-hmm. um, or that they don't deserve any better or just, I don't know. <laughs> I yeah. feel like really now, but yeah. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's so many. It's, I have no idea what the statistics are, but it's way more than anybody thinks because it's very hush-hush and... Yeah, like you said, sometimes that awakening that you go through as a woman where you come to a place of understanding what's going on in your marriage and that it is actually abuse is that's hard enough for you to figure out on your own and to navigate on your own. But it's even worse when your family discredits what you share with them about that situation and or continues to have a relationship with your abuser after you exit that. And, you know, a lot of people actually disconnect from either intentionally or unintentionally from their family of origin as they go through the process of leaving an emotionally or psychologically abusive situation because their family just doesn't get it. And they continue to perpetuate the lies and the pain of that. And so sometimes, you know, whole family systems are disrupted because of it, which is very sad. But then again, you know, I can say as my own experience in that, that it actually was very freeing, even though it is a source of grief to not have a family, essentially. Um, It is... It is also very freeing because as you as you untangle that mess that your marriage is, oftentimes most people, in fact, f- discover other relationships in their life that are mimicking that relationship with their abuser. And that could be a friend, it could be a parent or a sibling, it could be a boss. Um, It looks a lot of different ways, but a lot of times, many of my clients go through phases where they realize as they break free from the toxicity in their marriage, they actually discover that it's not just in their marriage. And, and, And the whole concept is it's it you have to look at you you have to understand what it is about you that allowed that attracted that perpetuated that because you can't change anybody else you have no power at all in your life as long as you're focusing on what other people are doing wrong to you the only thing you can change is you the way you think about it the way you respond to it and when you change that, everything changes. That's yeah. where all your power is. When you, when you quit feeling like a victim, and I'm not saying somebody isn't a victim because I truly believe I was, Yeah. but I am now empowered to take control of my life 
and set boundaries, which that book was absolutely amazing. I wish I'd have read it a long time ago, but I guess mm-hmm. I read it when the time was right. Yeah. And realized that not only because I mean, like I said, I was taught you're never allowed to tell anybody no at any time for any reason. So, you know, I couldn't say I didn't like the way somebody sang. I couldn't say, you know, nothing. And to realize that not only is it okay, but it is actually what God wants us to do. It's actually biblical, biblically correct to be saying, you can come this far and no farther. And, you know, to put up gates and only let the good in through the gate, I think is the way it is described in the Bible. But it's, it's, that was very freeing and empowering for me to realize that, okay, not only is my mom wrong that I can't set boundaries, that I can't tell people no, but that's actually against what God tells me to do. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so that, that right there was super, oh, I'm getting goosebumps. That was, was super empowering to say, okay, by setting boundaries, I'm actually being more obedient than, than before. And it's like, that was a huge empowerment for me oh, there yeah. too. And I did realize, I mean, my mom was my first one. Um, and I, I honestly don't believe, and this, and this may be just part of my own healing process, but I honestly don't believe that she intended it. Um, I think she went through a lot of stuff herself. And mm-hmm. um, I know I could have been a much better mom had I known then what I know now. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's hard to be a good mom when you're broken yourself, but mm-hmm. you do the best you can. And hopefully the kids will realize that yeah. you did the best you could. You sacrificed a lot to take care of them and, and try to do your best while you were being broken yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I think it was, well, for one, he was my second husband and both of them, I think were strictly for the purposes of getting out of the house because I was under the belief that I could not do it on my own. Yeah. So the only way I could get out of the house was to be married. And both marriages were abusers. Um, but just like anybody else that continues an abusive relationship, it's what you're familiar with. It's what you mm-hmm. feel like you deserve. It's what you know how to handle. It's like if I had somebody who, and hopefully eventually I will, somebody who is just really loving and respectful and, and protective in a good way, not like mm-hmm. overbearing protective, but you know, cared about whether or not I got home safe or, or whatnot, yeah. you know, and, and made me a priority and was, was just all of that good stuff. I'm not sure I'd know what to do with it. I'd learn, <laughs> I'd learn and I'd love it. Yeah. But at the same time, it feel, it would feel for a while, it would feel very, very uncomfortable because it's not how I'm used to being treated. It's how, how I know I want to be treated, mm-hmm. but you know, knowing <laughs> how to accept that. Yeah. Because it's a process. It's a, I I actually have been through that and I, and I will tell you, it does not come natural when, I mean, you do a lot of stupid reactions to those kinds of things when you are loved unconditionally and in a healthy way for the first time in your life, when you're 40 something, you don't know what to do with that. You don't, you, you don't. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it is part of the healing process. And the way I always explain that to people is you've got, there's layers of that onion that you have to peel alone because you need to get healthy in order to attract what you really want into your life. And then more layers have to be peeled once you're in a relationship, because there's a lot of healing that you can do on your own, but there's certain aspects of healing your heart and mind that have to happen within the context of relationship. And it is not easy at all. 
but certainly worth it. (laughs) It's not. I mean, it's, it's been a long time coming just to learn to like myself. Yeah. And, but that's part of, it's like, if I don't like me, then how can I expect to attract somebody who is going to like me? Yeah. You know, if I'm always putting myself down or just feeling inadequate or, because then if I'm feeling inadequate, then anything they say, any criticism, it's really hard to take any kind of constructive criticism in a healthy way when you feel bad about yourself because then it feels more like an attack than right absolutely than, and not only that but you also you you are so much more willing to accept any kind of love and attention that you get because you're you don't give that to yourself so you're like sort of more desperate for that kind of attention which is a magnet for abusers because they want to be with somebody that flatter and make feel good about themselves because then pretty quickly they can shift that dynamic to, you know, taking advantage of the situation in whatever way they do. Are you tired of feeling alone and stuck in your current situation? Whether you're in an unfulfilling or toxic marriage, in the middle of a messy divorce, or maybe still seeking a better life after your divorce, Starting Over Stronger has a support group for you. You'll meet weekly online with a group of women experiencing all the same pain, fears, doubts, and confusion. And you'll leave there each week feeling heard, known, and cared for. You will come to understand why you are where you are and how to move toward happiness and fulfillment, feeling supported. Don't put it off another day. Go to startingoverstronger.com now and click groups in the menu bar. Get registered. And for just $88 a month, you'll start this week being a part of an amazing group of women whose presence and affirmation will help you feel less alone and stuck and more clear and confident come what may. Tell me about being a, a certified divorce coach. What I that is something I've never heard of. What yeah, a lot of people haven't. Um I learned of this uh organization through a certified divorce financial analyst who um shared it with me because she knew my heart. She knew my desire to help women going through divorce. I was actually at first in real estate and I specialized in divorce real estate. And so I got to know her through that. And then, you know, she she just helped me to understand that there was other ways that that could look. And I had already kind of organically been coaching people, just friends and friends of friends and just different, um, clients that I'd worked with in real estate, I just naturally gravitate toward coaching and teaching. And so she shared that with me and I checked it out and found out that the certified divorce coaching program is kind of the industry standard for divorce coaching. It's recognized by the American Bar Association as a helping professional uh, whose job is more or less like a project manager for your divorce. I guess that's the best way to think of it, kind of the team captain, because most people go into divorce thinking that they need to hire an attorney and the attorney's going to do everything. Well, that's a really dangerous position. However, it is what most people do. And it, it is why divorce is so expensive because they are generally the highest price professional. 
that you will have in your divorce. You might also have a financial advisor. You might have a therapist. Um, you know, you may be working on your credit. You may be needing to change insurance policies. There's a lot of different helping professionals that are going to come around you to help you make that transition. But if you've never been through a divorce, and most people who are going through one haven't, you, like you don't know. Years, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't know the whole process. You don't know what's coming next or what outcome is likely if you take this action or that action. So the certified divorce coach role is to come around you to help you to understand the process, um, to provide emotional support and practical support for well-informed decision-making. And that looks like helping you know how to select an attorney that will serve you well, getting you connected with all of the different resources that you're going to need through the process, and coaching you on what types of conversations you need to have with those people so that you can make the most use of your time and their experience to better serve you in getting a fair outcome in your divorce. And that is always my goal, is that you get a fair outcome. Nobody's going after blood uh, if they're working with me, because <laughs> that it's not about taking all you can get, you know, or whatever. It's a fair outcome, which is what both parties deserve when a marriage dissolves. So that's the goal. Fight over anything, but I have been told that I could have definitely gone for a, a you know, thing things regarding being abused. The was it yeah. mental language and stuff like that? It's like no, I'd you know, and it's just such a crapshoot because it really depends on your attorney and their strategy and what dynamics you have between you and your soon to be ex, as well as what judge is assigned to your case as to whether or not causation has any effect on the divorce outcome. It, it really has more to do with, you know, what does each party need and what can each party provide? What is the best result for the children? What is going to allow both parties to start over as well as possible? Certainly, anyway, that should be the goal. And I can't say it always goes that way because it just doesn't, unfortunately. But it is certainly the goal when I work with someone to help them to navigate making sure they get a fair outcome. Divorce real estate? Would, could you? I know that's not what you're doing right now, but could you talk about that a little bit? Because how is that different yeah. than any other real estate? Well, because when um, first and foremost, simply the fact that the house is being sold because of a divorce is a factor that any potential buyer should not know. And unfortunately, real estate agents like to talk <laughs> and they often share way more information than they should in exchanges with other real estate agents. So that's the most important factor when it comes to the sale of the house is that I work with both parties to ensure privacy about the actual act of selling because of divorce. And also it means that being skilled and trained in being a 
neutral third party, I'm actually able to work with both spouses uh, independently or together, whatever their preference is. If they can't stand each other or be in the same room, I'm willing to take the time to create separate appointments for things and to make sure to protect their interests and their feelings on that issue. And so that's one aspect of it as well. And then prior to the sale of the house, or if maybe one of them is keep keeping the house, for example, I'll take, because I predominantly work with women, I'll take the woman as an example. If she wants to keep the house and she's negotiating to keep the house, I help her to understand how that plays into the whole picture of the financial outlook for the divorce, because there are things that she may have to give up in exchange that might actually be more valuable. And furthermore, she needs to make sure that she actually can qualify to keep the house with her own salary. And oftentimes had to refinance three fourths of the value of the house between the 50% of equity that we had in the house and the half of, um, of what was left that he got half, I got half. So between that basically quarter plus mm-hmm. the half that was already paid off, that's three fourths of it that I would have had. And that, yeah, I wouldn't have qualified not yeah. to mention while I like the house and I didn't really want to deal with all the packing up and moving, which was totally emotional. The whole reason I got an apartment before I, the house was sold um, because it gave me a place to come to that was not in boxes. Mm-hmm. The memories in the house. Yeah. You know, I mean, we raised the kids in the house, so there was some good memories, but, you know, I could walk into a room and I could picture a bunch of fights that happened and, you know, where he's yelling, screaming mad because, I asked him a question or some dish was in the sink or the remote wasn't put away or where put away as in where he wanted it to be. (laughs) You know, it wasn't in a, it wasn't in a bad place. It just wasn't where he wanted it. Right. You know, so something set him off and he's doing his big, bad, scary yelling, screaming, stomping thing. And, you know, it's like, I'm not really sure I wanted to start my new life and to start over, figure out who I am, what I want Mm -hmm. in a house with those memories. I need to, I need to start. And I definitely did not want to sleep in that master bedroom. Well, and that's where I was. I didn't want the house. I didn't want most of the furnishings in it. I sold all of it. Because there were bad memories in all of it. And yet there are women who do want to keep the house. And the sad thing is that if they negotiate well, they can actually be awarded the house in the divorce decree and only to find out a month or two months later that they don't qualify for the refinance. So now they're in contempt of court because they've been ordered to pay him half of the equity and they literally can't. So it's these are the kinds of things that most people don't know to even look for when they're going through the divorce because you're just operating on pure emotion and you're not thinking clearly. It's been proven your redu- your ability to reason through situations logically is reduced by as much as 30% as you're going through a divorce. So the last thing you want to do is be the one making all the decisions when you're emotionally and intellectually compromised like that. So that's really what a divorce coach and a divorce real estate focused, a divorce real estate agent can help you with because 
we've been there. We know what all the options are. We know what the likely outcomes are here. We know how to get you the answers that you need before the judge rules and makes property division permanent. And so you can execute a different arrangement or a different agreement based on better data sooner. And that's really what divorce real estate is about, is just making sure that the decisions that you're making are, are smart decisions and that you have all the facts to make them. I never thought about if I had if I had said, yes, I wanted it and it went in the divorce decree and then I didn't qualify. I had never thought that that would have been contempt of court. Yeah. And it, and it, it ends up in, you know, failed refinance, failed loan origination, you know, it can cause bankruptcy. It can cause, I mean, any number of things can go wrong in that year following divorce. Do you have any tips or myths or other things along those lines that you would be comfortable sharing? (laughs) (laughs) I want to dispel the myth that all you need for a good divorce is a good attorney. Because a t- divorce requires a team. And if you've never gone through it before, you wouldn't know that. You would just do what everybody else does. You would go ask a friend or look online or whatever you do to come up with an attorney. And you'd hire them and you'd assume that they're just going to take care of everything. And then you'd find out pretty quickly that that's not really how it goes. And you would find out also that it's very expensive if you take that route. And so the myth that I wanted to sell- Charge way more than others, which I didn't realize. Oh yeah, yeah. They they run the gamut as far as that goes. lawyer charged about half what mine did. Oh, wow. Yeah. They, they can charge anything they want to for their services. And, you know, unless you interview two or three and you have tips and t- techniques for how you interview attorneys, how are you going to know that you got a good one? And what does good even mean? Because every divorce is different. It's not conceivable that every attorney is equally capable of handling every different variant of divorce that there is out there and the different personalities that are mixed in with that. Um, I see all the time where people are posting on social media saying, you know, I need a, I need a good attorney that's cheap. And it's like, "Mm, sorry, (laughs) that doesn't happen. (laughs) But what they're that the, what they're getting at is the fact that they probably know somebody who spent thirty thousand dollars or more on their divorce, and they go into it. Most people go into divorce thinking it's going to cost a few thousand dollars, and for the large majority of people, that is not at all the case. It ends up usually being three times what they thought it was going to be or more. And that all depends on the personalities in the divorce. That that the attorney, in spite of what most people think, is usually not what makes the divorce expensive. The attorney is just a legal professional who files court documents and has conversations with people about what choices they want to make in, in these processes. But they don't I mean, there's there are bad attorneys out there who purposefully run the bill up and get people around up to make stupid decisions so they can charge them more. Sure, because that really just depends on that particular attorney's ego and or their personality. And so certainly there are attorneys that will create more expense than necessary, but 
generally speaking, it's the personalities and the egos and the emotions that are involved that are going to run that bill up. So what I want people to understand is that when when you think about just having your attorney do everything, you're probably doing that because you think it's the least expensive route. And it's actually the most expensive route. The least expensive route is to hire a coach because coaches are much less expensive than attorneys and much more available, much less likely to charge you for every email and phone call and text message. And generally speaking, more qualified for the emotional and practical support that you're looking for to put onto an attorney. Your attorney is just your legal professional. They're going to advise you on the strategies. They're going to file court documents. They're going to make appearances in court with you if need be. But they're not your counselor. They're not your emotional support person. They don't care why you're getting divorced, even if they're a really nice person. They don't need to know all the details of this week's, you know, drama in your house. You know, that that's just not their job. But a coach is going to help you to reframe all that, put that all together, get you connected with the people that you need to be connected with so that you can make well-informed decisions in every area of change that's occurring as you go through your divorce. And so actually the team approach managed by the project manager that is the divorce coach is actually the least expensive way to get divorced because the divorce coach helps you to eliminate all of the emotion and the, and the ego that drives that bill up usually. Your divorce is almost final. Now what? Do you want to make sense of the past so you don't repeat it? Maybe you're tired of feeling ashamed for what you've allowed in your life or the mistreatment you have tolerated in your marriage or for the fact that divorce is a part of your journey at all. Have you ever thought, about making yourself a priority in your new life, but immediately worried you were being selfish? Maybe you're ready to break free of all the emotional ties to your ex and the unfulfilling or toxic relationship patterns of the past. I invite you to experience all this and more at the November 6th to 11th Starting Over Stronger Retreat in the perfectly peaceful Cedar Crest Retreat Center in Pleasanton, Kansas. On your Starting Over Stronger Retreat, you'll receive the rest you so desperately need, the silence and solitude along with the tools that allow you to reflect reframe and reset after your divorce so you can shift away from self-defeating and limiting beliefs and behaviors. You will gain authenticity, confidence, clarity, and grace, having learned my favorite proven techniques for a calmer, more centered head and heart space. And you'll be surprised how easy this transition can be and how amazing it feels. So don't miss out. Being an intimately sized venue, this event will sell out. Find out more now at www.sosretreat.com. I'm looking forward to meeting you there and transforming with you. So if I was to interview attorneys, it's too late now, but if I were to go back in time and interview attorneys, what would what kinds of questions would I ask and, and how would I try to figure out what's a good fit for me and my marital divorce situation? Well, because attorney selection is one of the 
um, I'll call it techniques <laughs> that I coach my clients through. I won't get into details about all the exact questions that need to be asked, but I will say in general, you are interviewing them kind of like is if you were an employer and you were looking for an employee, you need to go into the relationship with that mindset of I'm hiring you to work for me. And so you need to fit certain qualifications. You need to understand my situation. You need to validate that you get what I'm talking about. And specifically here, I'm referring to that person that we described earlier who's in a toxic marriage with a, I'm going to use the N-word, narcissist, the word that everybody throws around nowadays and most people say is overused. And actually it's probably not overused. It's probably just not. wildly more popular than anybody wants to talk about. But that being the case, the last thing you want to do is hire a narcissist to be your divorce to be your divorce attorney because they're going to just continue to abuse you in different ways from your current abuser, right? So there are certain questions that you need to ask to determine whether or not the person that you're hiring is going to trigger you, is going to treat you well, actually understands the narcissist empath relationship, and not that they would ever use those terms, but if they don't understand high conflict divorce they aren't going to be a good fit for you because a good attorney that really truly understands that dynamic because they've seen it in their career a zillion times knows how to anticipate what's coming and how to strategize their case so as to avoid as much of that drama as possible. And someone who can't see that dynamic in a relationship or refuses to deal with it is just going to be as detrimental to you in your divorce as, I will say, a marriage therapist is to you when you're still in that place of trying to fix the marriage and that marriage therapist can't see the dynamic of a high conflict relationship and they just continue to wound you. Even that's more. what I was thinking as you were saying. It's like, it's, yeah. you know, the last thing you want is to feel like your attorney is taking his side mm -hmm. or your therapist, your marriage therapist, counselor, whatever is taking his side and doesn't get your perspective and the impact that his behavior has on you. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah. If they because unfortunately, a lot of mental health professionals don't make application of the abuse cycle to emotional, psychological, and financial abuse. They're not trauma-informed. They're not high-conflict personality-informed. And so they just make everything worse, and so does a divorce attorney who doesn't understand that. And so it's very important when you're interviewing attorneys that you know the right questions to ask so that you can avoid putting yourself in a situation that is going to derail your ability to get a fair outcome in your divorce. Um, when I was doing stuff in the correctional facilities, one of the trainings that the volunteers went through was a trauma-informed training. Mm -hmm. And um, there, were, there was a, a bunch of stuff. But one of the things that really kind of stuck out to me was instead of asking, like, what's wrong with you, be more what happened to you mm -hmm. and really kind of realize that, that there's something going on inside them mentally, emotionally, socially, 
that is causing this behavior and you know remember i'm in the correctional facility and so you know the and it was a juvenile detention center is where i was at at the time you know so you've got some kids that are misbehaving you know it's like it's not what did you do or it's what happened to you what's what what's behind the scenes that's causing you to act out that way and um yeah yeah. That can make a big difference when they start looking at things from that perspective. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's all the difference in the world to have to defend yourself than to be in a safe place where why you're feeling and thinking and saying and doing the things that you are is looked at from a perspective of there's a reason why you're acting this way, saying this these things, doing these things, and it's all the difference in the world, whether or not you have to defend yourself for the reasons that you're behaving and acting and doing the things you are. Well, and I know for my situation, um, I mean, the divorce was just final a little over two months ago, but there's a lot of, I mean, I, yes, I do feel better about myself. There was a lot of healing, a lot of empowering and things that happened in order for me to be able to say, I am done. You're not going to treat me this way anymore, which that that conversation happened for about three years mm-hmm. um you know you can't do this to me anymore and then something else would happen you can't do that to me anymore um sometimes it was the same thing over and over again and there were you know but there was there were several different things but it's you know it's it hasn't been since it's only more recent and I'll, I'll probably still continue to grow in that area but if i had to tell you why I was behaving or reacting a certain way. I'm not sure, especially several months ago when I filed, I'm not sure I could have told you because I hadn't figured it out yet. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All That's I knew a lot of people was, are. this is not okay. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I was the same way when I was going through my own divorce. It was like, you know, I don't, I've never been through a divorce before. I don't even really know that many people that have been through a divorce. I don't know who to ask to get feedback from, you know, I just know, I'm putting one foot in front of the other and I'm doing the best I can. I know plan A failed. I have no idea what plan B is yet, but I will figure it out as I go (laughs) because I know plan A is no longer an option. So I don't ever want to go back to plan A or anything Mm -mm. that looks like plan A. (laughs) I've been there like three times now. I mean, growing up, first husband, second husband, there was a very, very, very unhealthy friendship that, yeah. Yeah. And if you, yeah. Yeah. Just like you were saying, you know, once you start realizing what's going on in your marriage, you start looking around you and start realizing that that person is not the only one that is taking advantage of you, that's manipulating you, that's, mm-hmm. you know, abusing you in, in different ways and that yeah. they're not healthy friendships and relationships. So what other tips um, besides it doesn't, so your first step was that, or myth, I guess, is that, uh, it needs to be a team and not mm-hmm. just the attorney. That's what right. else would you, what other things have you seen people believe that is just totally backwards from what it should be? That everything is his fault. That after I get away from him, my life will just be perfect because I didn't do anything wrong. I, you know, I did what I was supposed to do. And he, you know, is the reason for all the the failure and the divorce and everything. Now, I get that because I've felt that before, but 
like we talked about earlier, the truth is that even though we are certainly not responsible for the abuse that we have endured in our relationships, we are responsible for what we allow in our lives. And so the biggest tip that I could give anybody going through divorce is to take your eyes off of your ex or soon to be ex and look in the mirror. Don't don't think for a second that I am shaming you or blaming you because I'm not. Shame has no place in life recovery and life transition. Put that away completely because it's not about blame. Blame and responsibility oftentimes are kind of treated like synonyms of each other, but they're very different in my opinion. Blame Uh, is... Yeah. Blame is maybe what you've dealt with in your marriage. You know, you've been blamed for everything. So you're just told everything's your fault. Now here's this lady that's a divorce coach telling you everything is your fault. Nope. It's not about fault. It's about responsibility. He is responsible for everything he's ever done. You are responsible for everything you have done or not done, the choices that you've made, the way that you think, the way that you act, the way that you believe about yourself, about relationships, about other people. It's all that that's all in your hula hoop. I've had a a counselor years and years ago used hula hoops as an example of personal responsibility. And it's always stuck with me because everybody has their own hula hoop around them. God has a hula hoop too. Sometimes our hoops cross over each other, maybe in healthy ways, maybe not. But ultimately, you're responsible for what's in your hula hoop and nothing outside of it. And so all your power lies inside of your hoop. And so as you go through any major life transition, the most powerful thing you can do for yourself and for any future relationship you want to have is to keep your eyes inside your hoop and figure out how to know yourself better, how to love yourself better, how to require the people that you allow in your life to treat you well. And when you do that, whether you stay single the rest of your life or you attract the love you desire or you whatever you do in your romantic life, everything will change in your career, in your friendships, in your family, and any future relationships that you have romantically because of how you clean up what's in your hoop. So that's the biggest tip that I can give anybody going through a major life transition is to just focus on you. Learn how to like yourself, learn how to love yourself, learn how to figure out how to heal, learn how to set boundaries. Oh, and that was one thing I was thinking about earlier. And I I derailed, I, I went down one way and then forgot to come back. When you start setting boundaries, people will push back. Those manipulators, those controlling folks, they are really going to start pushing back because they don't like the fact that you're not letting them manipulate you anymore. Oh, no, not at all. Absolutely. Oh, no, 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 no. So it's going to, when you start setting boundaries, be prepared. You're going to have to to fight to get those boundaries to stick. And oh, you're yeah. going to have to solidify the, the harden up that the edge of that hula hoop there to make sure that they yeah. on their side. Absolutely. And unless they're going to behave the way that you say you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't yet feel like you deserve to be treated that way, that's just kind of part of the healing process in my mind. Yeah. And, and you know, I had somebody use the analogy one time, which is always really 
stayed fresh in my mind because it's so, I, I'm a visual learner. And so whenever somebody shares uh, that kind of an example with me, it just always is an impression that's made. And, and the truth is like, if you think of this in light of like a snowstorm and you driving through tracks in the snow, once you've gone through those tracks, how hard is it then to go in a different direction? Isn't it just easier to stay on those same tracks? And that's true for us as humans as well in our relationships and in everything we do. It's just easier to do what you've always done. And that goes for your abusers too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Getting out of those tracks and those ruts that we've created in our lives is not easy for anybody. So yes, absolutely. Boundaries. um, You're no boundary. No, no one that's in an unhealthy relationship with you is going to appreciate your boundaries. And that's actually one of the, the techniques that I teach for people who are trying to save their marriage still is to focus on how to set healthy boundaries within your relationship. It's going to be uncomfortable, but some someone with whom you have a potential for a healthy relationship will come around to it and eventually accept it and maybe even learn to set their own healthy boundaries. And you will, the two of you learn together how to accept each other's boundaries and to morph your unhealthy relationship into a, a healthy one. But that's step one, regardless, you know, regardless of whether that person's ever going to accept your boundaries, you have to actually start having them because you're never going to know otherwise, right? Mm -hmm. I actually recorded a podcast episode for Starting Over Stronger um, recently, and it's, I was just looking on my schedule here, it's coming out April 13th, and it's on that exact thing, and it's called Beating the Boundary Busters in Your Life, and Boundary Busters is a word I heard somewhere along the way for that person that challenges your boundaries. Saving your on saving your marriage, one of the key things, and, and something that I thought was just my imagination in my in my marriage was that I was the only one trying to hold it together. And as he has proven um, in several ways in the last several months, between the time that he left to check on his mom and then when I filed, and since the divorce has been final and whatnot. I was the only one trying to hold it together. So, you know, if you want to try and set healthy boundaries and try and heal the relationship and and make it into a healthy relationship, in my mind, and you tell me whether you agree with this or not, both parties have to want that. Oh, yeah. Because if only one of them is fighting to keep the marriage together and the other one is, you know, comes like, yeah, if we're married, we're married. If we're not, we're not. Yeah. And they're not going to be willing, in my mind, to do the work. Ads are so annoying, aren't they? As a podcast listener myself, I know this to be true. However, as a podcaster, I also know they are necessary. It takes a lot of time and expense to put together a podcast that airs every week and comes to you at no cost. As a woman recovering from divorce myself, I know that you understand my time is valuable. And that's why after almost two years on the airwaves and over 100 episodes, I find it necessary to start advertising to make it possible to continue to bring you this quality content that I know you need and want each week. But you can skip the ads altogether. 
Want to know how? Go to patreon.com slash divorce, and you'll be able to select from three Patreon fan club member tiers that range from just five to $10 a month. You'll never miss it. And you never have to hear another ad again. You can also get bonus content, early access to episodes and more. That's patreon.com slash SOS divorce. And Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thank you for your support of me as I offer support to you. We are all in this together. Or yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And in fact, sometimes it's like, are they just trying to keep the status quo because they like it? It's comfortable for them? Or are they actively trying to undo any good that I'm trying to do? You know, those are different levels of dysfunction, but both very dysfunctional. And so, you know, you have to, again, focus on your hoop, change what you can, learn to set healthy boundaries, learn to respect yourself. Boundaries are just respect. That's really all boundaries are, is just respecting yourself and others and what each of us is responsible for. And so, you have to start there because that's really all you can do anyway. And as you do that, you begin to see and experience the relationship and other people differently. And so then you gain the strength and the courage and the clarity to understand what the next steps are going to look like if it's possible to remedy the, the, the whatever's wrong in that relationship or not becomes more clear as you clean up your hoop. And I've had several folks who um, have been enablers unintentionally, um, but they have somebody who is taking advantage of them um, and they're, you know, they're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to help them out. You know, it's my sibling, it's my nephew, it's my kid, it's my friend. And, oh, well, you know, they need this, they need my money. They, you know, they need some money for this, or they need me to take them here or there. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, they're never going to learn to stand on their own two feet if you are their constant safety net. And, you know, if you want to continue to be that, that's fine, but don't be complaining about it. That's, that's your choice. Because, you know, like you said, it's like, I can't change them, but I can Mm -hmm. help educate them that, you know, the best way that you can help them to get up on their feet is you have to force them to not totally rely on you. And you have to say, nope, I'm not. I will give you one ride this week. You Mm -hmm. choose where it is. I will give you one ride. I'm not going to give you three rides a day every day or two rides a day every day or whatnot. You know, I will take you someplace once. Mm -hmm. And anything else they want to do, they either have to go without or have to find a different way or um, you got to quit enabling them to continue to basically take advantage of you and mistreat you. But to just continue to play the victim and um, just, oh, poor me, I need this, I need that. It's like, yeah, I understand you're in a bad situation, but at the same time, there's only so much I can do. And once you finally get to that point where I've done everything I can do and I can live with myself to say, I'm done. There Mm -hmm. isn't anything else I could have done to try and save this marriage or this friendship. And it it needs to be done because it's not a healthy friendship. And I, you're not, it, in my mind, you're not going to change. I've given you every opportunity that's, that's realistic that I need to do so that I feel comfortable and confident that I tried. It's not, mm-hmm. you don't leave going, well, if I'd have done this and I'd have done that, you know, because <laughs> I've already done that. But 
you know, where's that healthy boundary? It's different yeah. for everybody. Right. You know, what's interesting about the word enable is that it's actually a complete lie. You're not enabling somebody, you're actually disabling them. Exactly. And, you know, of course, most enablers don't use the word enabling. They, they call it helping. But, you know, it's like doing something for somebody that they either can or should be doing themselves is actually not helping at all. It's hurting. And right. that's the hard thing for people to grasp. I mean, I've been an enabler in my life as well. And and I worked my way out of that by acknowledging that I actually wasn't helping them. And there was some kind of pathological reason why I continued to help, quote unquote, them, because it, what was it actually doing for me? Well, at that point in my life, I was very much in a victim mentality. So my whole life was, what was me? You know, I do all this for other people and I get nothing. That actually is a really ego-driven response, which is hard for people to wrap their head around because they see themselves as these helper types. But truly, the only one you're helping in your own mind in that moment is yourself. You're helping yourself to stay in that victim role because it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing, you know, where... Yeah. Nothing ever changes because I don't ever let it change because <laughs> I don't respect myself enough to demand that it change. And uh, that takes a lot of time to unravel. <laughs> well, and for me, um, it, it, I don't know that it was a pathological need to help folks. I think I do that more now than I did before. I think it was more I wasn't allowed to say no. So can you take me here? Even though it wasn't convenient, I had to rearrange several other things. I was not allowed to tell them no. That's the way I was raised. Yeah. And so for me to say, it, it was very, very uncomfortable. And I, I still kind of struggle with it for me to say, no, I'm sorry, I'm booked, I can't. Mm -hmm. And to know that, okay, it's nothing personal. It's not, it's not um, negative towards me. I am booked. I can't do it for whatever reason. And it, I don't, you know, you don't have to share your reason with them. Just know, yeah. sorry, I can't. Mm -hmm. um, but to be okay with saying, and that's part of the, the respect and the setting boundaries and whatnot is to be able to say, no, I can't do that right now. Mm -hmm. and period. <laughs> no, period. Yeah. no, period is a complete sentence. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it and, is. and you can actually say it like nicely too. I mean, you can say whatever, however you want to word it. Like you do not have to justify your decisions to anyone and anyone who's asking you to justify your decisions to them is not a healthy person to have in your life. And, that and that's taken me that's a hard to yeah. learn is that I, I can say no. And I find myself, I was doing it even last night, sending an email I felt like I needed to explain why this change was happening. I needed to explain why I changed my mind or why I was, you know, and it's like, no, yep. th this is, this is good. This is the answer. And I don't need to tell you why. And um, I found that if I, when I start telling somebody why, because they're like, well, why don't you like this? Or why don't you want to go here? Or why don't you, know, it ends up being nothing more than a checklist of things that they can argue with me about. Yeah. And then they, in their mind, they discredit every single thing, every single reason I gave them. So now what's your excuse? No. So now why won't, why won't you go? 
you know, I've invalidated all of your reasons. Like, well, you argued all of them, but my reasons are still my reasons. And I've learned that yeah. it's just easier not to give them my reasons. And it's really honestly none of their business. That's, That's my, right. my personal reasons. The answer is no, period. <laughs> Complete mm-hmm. sentence. And they need to respect that. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a transition, yeah. though, in, in one's mind, yeah. because there is a lot of conditioning, and especially of women. Um, we live in a very misogynistic culture, uh, patriarchal society, uh, where we're taught whether anybody ever said the words or not, as women, we are taught from a very young age to go along, to get along, to serve. Uh, not to question, to people please, you know, all of those things. It, it just is such a natural part of our modeling as as kids that it, it's it's just completely unconscious. Most people have no idea they're being taught that way or that they are teaching those things to their children. And what's what's the alternative i don't know i mean you know i don't think we have to swing the pendulum the whole opposite direction but i do think there needs to be balance in our society i think we don't that want to men- make all selfish and self-centered yeah right and and i i i can't even you know identify as a feminist because the feminists have gone way the opposite extreme where women are better you know and 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 they say they just want equality but i think that equality isn't I'm a woman and I can do anything a man can do. It's I'm a woman and I recognize my inherent value and the things in this world that I do well. And I also recognize that there are men who have their unique ways that they are created and the things that they are good at. And I will never be good at some of the things that my male counterparts are good at and vice versa. There are things that they are never going to naturally do as well as what I do because I'm a woman and that's how God made me. God made women and men differently for very, very important reasons. (laughs) And I don't want to be equal to a man. I want to be valued for who I am. And And I think that's what everybody wants. They just have different language that they put to it and maybe different conditioning or philosophies that that play into that. But overall, I think all of us just want to be valued for who we are and what we contribute to the world. You can talk about your retreat, what you have planned, and uh, that way folks can... It's not until you said like the first part of November. Is that yeah, right? November 6th through Seven. 11th um, in a small area in Kansas. It is a very peaceful retreat center. I will have much more information coming that maybe by the time this airs, uh, people will be able to access. And and when they do, it will be on the startingoverstronger.com website. Well, thank you everyone for watching. This has been Financial Fix. We hope to see you again next week. Thanks again for tuning in this week to hear my appearance on the Financial Fix show with Teresa McGarry. I hope you learned a lot. And if you enjoyed that, 
check out her show and see what else she has to offer you. And I will see you back here again next week for more help as you divorce and hope as you are starting over stronger.